Hello again, thanks for joining us on Astronomy Daily, your daily dose of astronomy and space science news. I'm Andrew Dunkley, your host. Coming up, we're going to hear from Professor Fred Watson, who examines the results of the DART mission. And plenty more to talk about as well. And joining us as always is our intrepid Ethernet reporter, Hallie. Hi, Hallie. How are you? Hi, Andrew. This is our last show for a while. I'm going to miss you. Uh, yeah, like a hole in the head. But you'll be well looked after my, by my uh, little brother, Steve, who's going to be sitting in the chair for the next few weeks. So it should be fine. I hope you and Judy have a wonderful break. I'll be sure to look in on you to make sure you don't get lost. Yes, I, I have been known to get sort of crisscrossed up when it comes to using the likes of Google Maps. So uh, anything you can do to help would be most welcome. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley. Uh, right now, what would be welcome is the news. The White House has released a long-delayed national security strategy that lays out challenges the United States faces in a tripolar world with China and Russia as the nation's key competitors. President Joe Biden's national security adviser Jake Sullivan said the United States is entering a decisive decade of strategic competition with major powers. At the same time, the U.S. will need to work closely with allies to address transnational challenges like climate change food insecurity, pandemics, terrorism, energy shortages, and inflation. Sullivan added, we will leverage all elements of our national power to outcompete our strategic competitors, tackle shared challenges, and shape the rules of the road. With regard to outer space and its role in national security, Biden's strategy takes a less combative tone than the former Trump administration's strategy released in 2017. The largest asteroid ever to hit Earth which slammed into the planet around 2 billion years ago, may have been even more massive than scientists previously thought. Based on the size of the Vredefort crater, the enormous impact scar left by the gargantuan space rock in what is now South Africa, researchers recently estimated that the epic impactor could have been around twice as wide as the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs. The Vredefort crater is about 99 miles or 159 kilometers in diameter, making it the biggest visible crater on Earth but impact craters slowly erode over time, which makes them shrink. The most recent estimates suggest that the Vredefort crater was originally 155 to 174 miles, or 250 to 280 kilometers across when it was formed. In the past, scientists thought the Vredefort crater was originally much smaller, but researchers have recalculated the size of the Vredefort asteroid and found that the destructive space rock likely measured somewhere between 12.4 and 15.5 miles 20 and 25 kilometers across. OneWeb is inviting individuals, companies and academic organizations to propose applications for the London-based company's low-Earth orbit satellite constellation through the Connectivity and Beyond Innovation Challenge. Backed by the European Space Agency, OneWeb is looking for innovative thinkers to collaborate with the company to drive the future of not only communications, but any application that could be unlocked through the OneWeb constellation. Challenge winners, in both the industrial and academic researcher categories, will have opportunities to collaborate with OneWeb. Companies entering the 2022 Innovation Challenge will be eligible to participate in OneWeb's co-engineering program. Proposals for the 2022 Innovation Challenge are due November 11th. 
Enrico Ramirez Ruiz, professor of astronomy and astrophysics at UC Santa Cruz, has been selected by the California Academy of Sciences to join the ranks of Academy Fellows, a governing group of around 450 distinguished scientists and other leaders who have made notable contributions to science or science education and communication. Ramirez Ruiz, who holds the Vera Rubin Presidential Chair for Diversity in Astronomy at UCSC, is among 11 new fellows to be recognized during the Academy's annual fellows gathering on October 11. Ramirez Ruiz is a theoretical astrophysicist who tests out his theories with complex computer simulations that defy the boundaries of human experience and the assumptions we make about the universe. He is a leading authority on some of the most dramatic events in the universe, such as collisions, mergers, and disruptions of stars, and that's the news, Andrew. Thank you, Hallie. We'll catch you before the end of the show. Now, as you've probably heard, they have the results of the DART mission, and it's very exciting news, and here to tell us all about it is Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hi, Fred. Hi, Andrew. Yeah, it's great news. The um the, the the result that we've all been waiting for from the double asteroid redirection test or DART, which slammed a half ton spacecraft into a tiny moon called Dimorphos, uh, a moon of an asteroid uh, about 170 meters in diameter, and the whole idea was to see whether the orbit of the asteroid, uh, the the asteroid moon around its parent body, Didymos, whether that orbit could be changed, and the answer is. Did yeah. Uh, so Dart did the trick. Uh, so before the impact, um, the orbit was eleven hours fifty-five minutes long, and that had been observed very, very carefully beforehand. I think you and I spoke about that mm. uh, in, in Space Nuts. Um, but it was shortened from that eleven hours and fifty-five minutes to eleven hours and twenty-three minutes. Uh, so it, it effectively, uh, what it's done is sped up uh, the orbital period of. Dimorphos around Didymos by 32 minutes, uh, and that is actually better than what was expected. I, I do remember reading early on in the in the project that uh, an orbit change of 10 minutes will be regarded as a success, uh, but this has done far more than that. And so the uh, you know the the evidence is that yes, we can actually move asteroids in their orbit if uh, if the need arises. Uh, and it, in fact, there's a very nice quote. Uh, from um, one of the uh, NASA officials who's been working on that, uh, which is, we showed the world that NASA is serious as a defender of this planet. Mm. Now, um, just a, a question. I know this asteroid's never going to hit Earth because of its uh, its orbital plane, but if it was one of the types of asteroids that would threaten us, is it big enough to do damage, uh, Didymos? Uh, Didymos certainly is, because that's nearly a kilometre across. Uh, but the one that was moved, Dimorphos, um, is 170 metres. And yes, it, it is big enough to do uh, significant damage. That would cause, you know, kind of probably statewide um, damage. Mm. Uh, it could devastate a city very easily. Wow. Uh, Didymos itself would be a much bigger thing. Uh, I think it's 750 metres or thereabouts in diameter. That would certainly cause consternation if an object that size was heading towards us. Fortunately, this one never is because its uh, its orbit is, is really quite uh, stable 
uh, it goes around the, the sun every 2.1 years. So we have proven the technology now exists to bump something out of the way should the need arise. Yes, as long as it was an asteroid-like dimorphous. Yeah. An if asteroid's it, come in many shapes and sizes. If it's so. bigger, we'd have to probably do multiple hits on it. Maybe so, or yeah. even maybe rethink the technology. But at least it's a first step, Andrew, in demonstrating that, that we can do something about this. Yeah, well, we've got to find something to replace Bruce Willis. He's not getting any younger. <laughs> exactly so. Indeed. All right, thank you, Fred. No worries, Andrew. Good to talk. Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large, with uh, some thoughts on that uh, wonderful news about the success of the DART mission. Now, uh, I got a question um, through our uh, website recently uh, about something we talked about, uh, I guess, a week or two ago. So uh, let's have a listen to the question and I'll try and provide an answer. Hi, Andrew. I was just listening to the latest Astronomy Daily podcast, and in it you mentioned that new Earth-like planets have been found, and you mentioned that some of the planets might be even better for um, sustaining life, and that we've just adapted to our environment. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what you mean by being better uh, suited for life than what we have here. Thank you for your podcast. Okay, thanks for the question. Uh, well, in terms of human beings, we are in the on the best planet, uh, capable of st- sustaining life as we know it and as as we have adapted to it. So, don't be confused by the claim that there are better planets to live on. Not for us, but scientists have been looking at this situation for a couple of years, uh, trying to figure out if there are planets that are better at uh, developing and sustaining life than our own. And they do believe there are some. Uh, There was one study led by Washington State University scientist uh, Dirk Schulzen-Macker, who published um, his findings in the journal uh, Astrobiology. And they found 24 potential superhabitable worlds that are more than 100 light years from Earth. Now, they have, uh, like Earth, a, um, uh, an orbit within the habitable zone of their uh, home, home star where liquid water exists. But the reason that they think these ones are better is because they're uh, orbiting longer-lived stars. Relatively speaking, the sun, as we uh, have come to know it, is a short-lived uh, star and doesn't burn as well as other stars. What they're basically suggesting is that uh, planets, uh, habitable planets, that orbit stars that are longer lived with with different makeups are capable of giving planets a longer period of time to develop as habitable worlds and therefore uh, could be better for the sustaining or the development and sustaining of life on those worlds, and those those life forms would adapt to that particular world. We would do no good there. It would be no good for us. Uh, the researchers, in this case, selected planet-star systems with probable terrestrial planets orbiting within the host star's liquid habitable zone uh, from uh, the Kepler Object of Interest exoplanet archive of transiting exoplanets. So that's how they found them. But uh, to cut a long story short, in addition to looking at systems with cooler G-stars, the researchers also looked at systems with K-dwarf stars, 
which are somewhat cooler, less massive and less luminous than our sun. Uh, K stars have the advantage of long lifespans of 20 to 70 billion years, which would allow orbiting planets to be older, as well as giving life more time to advance to the complexity currently found on Earth. We kind of have a live fast, die young scenario here. So in terms of sustainable life or better planets for life elsewhere, it's a slow burn approach that they deem to be better. Of course, water is the key to this kind of success and uh, that would apply just about everywhere. But these planets are being seen as uh, more suited for the development and sustaining of life than Earth. Hope that answers your question. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunsley. Now, one more quick story before we finish up today. SpaceX has announced tourist, uh, a tourist mission to the moon that could help uh, humanity extend its footprint far beyond Earth. Uh, the mission, uh, which was revealed uh, yesterday, uh, is going to send wealthy entrepreneur Dennis Tito and his wife Akiko and 10 other people on a week-long journey around the moon aboard SpaceX's huge Starship vehicle. Uh, which is still in development. Who those 10 passengers will be is is unknown at the moment. Only the Titos have reserved their seats. The goal of SpaceX is to make humanity multiplanetary, although, as we previously mentioned, finding another planet like ours might be difficult. And part of how you do that is uh, thinking through how do we make spaceflight really accessible to a group of people that haven't traditionally been able to take advantage of that opportunity? The mission is really notable. Uh, is a really notable step towards that, where instead of buying a whole mission, you can now buy a single seat. That's already a, a pretty big cost reduction for an individual person. Anyway, uh, we'll see how they go. A trip around the moon sounds okay, but um, I'm not sure I'd want to go much further than, than Mars myself. And I just want to go and have a look and come back. That's just just about it for me for today and for a, a few weeks. My little brother Steve will be looking after the show in my absence. Um, he's he's a bit nervous, but he'll do a great job, and I think you'll absolutely adore his sense of humour. He's uh, he's more wicked than I am, but uh, he'll really enjoy himself. And Hallie, thanks to you, uh, in, uh, enjoy um, your break from me and take care of my little brother, will you? I sure will. I think Hal has volunteered to babysit for a while too. Uh, uh, no, no need for that. I'm, I'm sure Steve can handle himself. Anyway, Hallie, take care and we'll catch you in a few weeks. Bye. Take care. I will. Uh, and that's it for this edition of Astronomy Daily. Uh, my little brother will be back on deck with the next episode tomorrow. Uh, until I get back, take care of yourself and don't forget to visit us online at spacenuts.io where you can catch the latest edition of Space Nuts and uh, the back catalogue as well and plenty more. And don't forget to leave your reviews for Space Nuts and Astronomy Daily through your preferred podcasting platform. Until next time, this has been Andrew Dunkley for Astronomy Daily. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley. <laughs>